Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? The evidence was circumstantial, and the prosecution brought Wayne Williams to trial for two of the 28 killings. Apartments on Buford Highway, where we now have new developments in the ongoing investigation of the Centennial Park bombing. General Robert Abrams, for the first time, and officially calls the Tawana Brawley story a lie. At a press conference this morning, Seattle Police Chief Robert Hansen announced a special task force being formed to study Ted Bundy. Join us now as we go beyond criminal headlines. I'm your host for Beyond Criminal Headlines, Nicole Bennett. Welcome to the first edition of my new podcast. I am so honored and so humbled that you're here with me. A little background, I'm from Georgia. I've been working in the journalism industry for about eight years. And that being said, I have been obsessed with true crime for a lot longer than that probably ever since I read my first news article on JonBenet Ramsey. Thank you, Mom. Over the past few years, I've been beyond fortunate enough to be able to feature not only my passion for journalism, but also true crime in a segment on a weekly news talk show called The Power Pod, which airs every Sunday, 10 a.m. to noon on WGAU Radio. It's a Cox Media Group affiliate in Athens, Georgia. And now I'm here flapping my wings as the host of the power pod jared yamamoto would say and i'm so excited to branch out and have not only a true crime news segment on one show but now my own podcast where like the title says i can go even more in depth and beyond infamously criminal headlines i'm not doing this entirely on my own though in my role with cox media group i have the privilege of working alongside the best journalists in the business who've covered some of the most notorious crimes in our history. And that's what I'll be doing every two weeks on Beyond Criminal Headlines, spotlighting conversations with my colleagues and journalists from around the industry to gain incredible new insight into well-known, and maybe in some cases not so well-known, true crime headlines. This week, our focus is on the Atlanta child murders. Between 1979 and 1981, more than 20 African-American children and teenagers went missing from the Atlanta area and were found dead. Wayne Williams has long been considered the prime suspect in the murders, but was never convicted of any child's death. In 1982, Williams was convicted of the murders of two adults and sentenced to two life terms in prison, and the cases were officially closed after his conviction. Much more recently, in 2018, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms announced that city police and the Fulton County District Attorney's Office would re-examine the cases. In 2019, the following year, Williams was denied parole. His next date of parole consideration will be November 
2027. He's currently housed at Telfair State Prison in McRae, Helena, Georgia. Monica Kaufman Pearson, one of my heroes and a journalistic icon, especially in Atlanta, was a nightly anchor on WSB-TV during the time of the Atlanta child murders. She would come on television every night and recite what became the common phrase, it's 10 o'clock, do you know where your children are? I've had the pleasure, the privilege, the honor, all of the above of working with Monica over the years in my role at CMG in Atlanta, Georgia. And more recently, I had the opportunity to speak with her about this unfortunately very dark chapter in Atlanta's history. This conversation took place right around the time of the 40th anniversary of the Atlanta child murders in 2019, as the city of Atlanta had built a memorial and had started to put up murals to honor the victims, it was a fascinating time to get Monica's perspective on this particular case. So without further ado, let's go beyond criminal headlines with Monica Kaufman Pearson on the Atlanta child murders. It was, a, I guess, to get your perspective on this, 1979 to 1981 in Atlanta, what was the city like just painting a picture of the culture and were people genuinely scared? Yes, people were genuinely scared. And that, I think, to me was the most fascinating part because it wasn't just African-Americans who were afraid. It was everybody because the question became if they're picking up young black children all over the city, when will they start picking up young white children all over the city? So it didn't matter after a while the complexion of the children. What mattered was there was someone out there killing Atlanta's children. And it meant all of a sudden, we would say at 10 o'clock on television, it's 10 p.m., do you know where your children are? And the reason we did that is because many of the children who had been abducted and killed were children who were out a little bit later or were running errands for neighbors. And all of a sudden, it became this case of your child could be out at 10 o'clock at night sitting on a stoop or walking in the neighborhood, and someone could grab them and you'd never see them again. So the fear was genuine from the governor all the way down to the person who lived in a neighborhood out in Dunwoody. Right. Everyone <laughs> was afraid because no one could solve the crime. And it was starting to actually hurt the city's image. That was a time when Atlanta was becoming this bustling city uh, where uh, international businesses were starting to move in. Maynard Jackson was the mayor of the city, the first black mayor of a major city in the southeast. And here he was all of a sudden facing the murders of black children. It was not a good chamber of commerce moment. Everyone was frightened, not only for the children, but for the image of the city. And then when it became national news and then international news, it was a case of we need to find whoever's doing this quick, fast, and in a hurry, because if we don't, it could strangle the city forever. What were some of the things that they did to hurry the investigation along? I don't know if that's the right word to use, but I know, um, Maynard Jackson, you mentioned, wasn't there a reward? 
millions of, I think it was a million dollars. I remember him sitting. (laughs) I can't remember exactly the amount. It's been so long ago, but I I can remember. It's been 40 years. It's It's been 40 years. But Nicole, I can remember seeing him on television with this stack of money in front of him. I cannot remember the exact amount, but it was a lot of cash in front of him. And if someone would come forward with information that led to the prosecution of someone, then that money would go to them. And, you know, I've never known whatever happened to that money. Really? We've never known what happened to the reward money. That's one of those mysteries that we've all been trying to figure out. Did anyone ever receive any of it? And if they didn't, what happened to it? But anyway, that was the big thing. The money stretched out in front of the mayor. But what I think happened is that all of a sudden people started saying what I said before is this is really a blight on the city and we need to find the person who's doing this. And so uh, along with telling people to watch their children and telling children don't go places without someone else with you, don't be out past 10 o'clock, you know, be careful, don't talk to strangers, all those things we've heard before. But what happened, all of a sudden, it's like the police department, the FBI came in. That's one thing. And because the president got involved and said, we need to do something about this. So the FBI came in and actually identified Wayne Williams early on as a possible suspect. I'm not sure what happened there, but sooner than later, all of a sudden, he was arrested because of fibers in his car. He'd been he'd gone across the bridge. They'd heard a splash. The infamous splash. The infamous <laughs> splash. And and all of a sudden he became, because of fibers, he became the prime suspect. He was arrested, uh, but found guilty of the adult murders. And then all of the children's murders were dumped into that. And that has always been my worry and my concern. We never really investigated the murders of the children. Once Wayne Williams was convicted of murdering the adults, then the police department just piled all of those in and said, it's been solved. And that's never set well with me. That's the good news today, 40 years later. Um, The case has been reopened. My only question about that is simply this. How much manpower are you putting into that case for those 29 individuals? How many police officers are actually looking at that cold case? I haven't gotten an answer, and I don't know if anyone else has. Is this just window dressing, saying we've reopened the cases, but not providing the manpower to really look into those cases? Because remember, the Atlanta Police Department right now is short-staffed. You've heard the police chief say that, that they need more bodies. So how can you really put put people in the position to look into these cases when you're already short on manpower? Uh, I know the mayor has said she wants to have a memorial built for the missing and murdered children. And I think that's wonderful if it brings peace to the families. But it still doesn't solve the case. Who killed these children. I think Wayne Williams might have been involved, but I can't prove it. 
So what is the investigative work that needs to be done for a 40-year-old case? Are there materials that now with the new DNA, can we find out who else was involved? We don't know. Right. And that's what I think I'm most concerned about. Forty years later, we're still asking the question, who killed these children? And do you remember, I know we had the first report in, of course, 1979. Do you remember any particular victim that stood out to you that you reported on at the time? Well, there were two victims that stood out to me that didn't fit in, and those were the two girls. And there were rumors at the time that one of them might have been attacked by a family member or someone she knew, but that was never truly investigated. It was almost as if we need to get these cases solved so we can move on becoming the major city in the South. Remember, at that time, the airport was growing and going into a new building. At that time, uh, MARTA was expanding and getting rail cars, building the rail lines. So there was a lot going on at the city at that time where you didn't need the distraction of murders of children. It just was impossible to have that happening in a major city. Well, and like you said, when it became national, I know we have a reporter in the newsroom, I think at the time was living in Connecticut, and she remembers her mom being more careful and being more cautious of when she was out and coming home. And there were businesses that couldn't get people to move here to take a job because they were concerned their child might be abducted. It really was a black eye for the city. So it became extremely important to find someone and to put that person in jail. And again, Wayne Williams was not convicted of murdering children. Those cases were just dumped on him. He was convicted of murdering two adult males. So Wayne Williams, he was a freelance photographer. He worked in the radio industry, too? He worked. He, uh, he was a um, talent scout. They kind That's of right. said, you know, he had talent scout. And then he actually worked uh, part-time, not even part-time. He was a freelancer for WSB television, usually shooting film on weekends. His car was made kind of to look like, you know, a police vehicle in that day. It didn't look exactly like, but when you looked at it, it gave you the impression that this might be someone who's in law enforcement. Um, so he was always around children. Uh, because he was doing these talent showcases and because he had a camera and was shooting video and was shooting photographs, people saw him as being someone who was in the industry. So, you know, he was one suspect. But when you talk to people, there were other suspects. Some people said that it, they thought it was the Klan that had been involved and was abducting children. How far did that investigation go? Uh, I often heard police saying at that time, and I disagreed with them, that it could not have been a white person abducting these children because a white person would stand out like a sore thumb in those neighborhoods. Well, that's not true because the people who provided utility services, the police, um, 
insurance salesmen. White people were in black neighborhoods all the time. And, you know, let's also be honest that there were white people in black neighborhoods buying drugs and doing other things. I felt that they lost time finding someone because they didn't look at everyone but just said, oh, it's got to be a black person. A black kid would only go with a black person. That's not true. And was he, I've heard he's he's a bit eccentric. I mean, did you ever have the chance to meet him? I only or? met him in passing when he came to the station, so I cannot say that I knew him. I just knew him in passing. But people who knew him said that, that, you know, he was very eccentric um, and in some ways very charismatic in that the way he could talk to people. Um, he's been, when you think about how long he's been in prison, and nothing's happened to him. He obviously is charismatic enough to keep people from bothering him because usually people who are accused of hurting children are hurt in prison. And as far as I know, over the time he's been in jail, he's been perfectly fine. And most people, most of the prisoners don't believe he did it either. And I was wondering, too, expanding on that, at the time during his trial, which was in 1982, Mm -hmm. I believe, what was it like? What, what were the families saying? Many of the families then and many of the families now are saying the same thing. He may be guilty of adult murders, but I want to know what happened to my child. Look into what happened to my child. And that has not changed. That's why the mayor's idea of, of doing this memorial does provide them some comfort. It means they haven't been forgotten. And with the 40th anniversary, HBO's done a special. um, Almost everyone's done a special. I know. On the missing and murdered children 40 years later. But why did it take 40 years? We still haven't gotten to who did it. We still haven't investigated the individual cases. I think that there are people who are adults now who were children then, who knew some of the victims, knew who they were last seen with, and actually know who did it or might have done it, but were afraid as children to talk about it because they did not want to become victims. They did not feel protected if they went to the police or they felt they wouldn't be believed. Those people are now adults, and I think if any of them saw something, now is the time to say something. I can understand it as a young person being afraid when you've seen your friend abducted and then later on they're found dead, or you've seen them with someone and then later on they're found dead. I can understand that as a young person, particularly during that time period. So what would you do? Now you can talk, and you should. And I think there are still people who know what happened, but were afraid then and still are afraid now. So it being the 40th anniversary, do you think that's sort of what's propelled it back into pop culture? I think it's popped back into pop culture for that very reason, because it's been 40 years. The families have been asking for help ever since the first child disappeared. And it took so long for there to be a reaction to that first child being gone. And I'll tell you why. It was not your typical middle-class black child. It was a child that some people back then tried to describe as, you know, street urchins, hustler kids. They were not. They were running errands for neighbors, running errands for their parents, 
uh, trying to do little jobs to raise money. These were kids who were not hustlers. They were just normal kids. But because of where they lived, their economic status, not as much importance was laid upon them. It was like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's a kid from that neighborhood, and you know how those kids are. And, and, you know, they were almost stereotyped as throwaways, or they shouldn't have been out. Even the parents were sometimes victimized by saying, you know, well, you didn't keep an eye on your kid. Why didn't you know where your child was? They were pictured as, you know, mothers who single parents on welfare. Not all of them were. So they were stereotyped, and the children were stereotyped. And when the bodies started adding up, that's when people got involved and said, uh-oh, we have a serial killer here. But if that had been a middle-class child or if that had been a white child, I still believe it wouldn't have taken that long. Now, you look at cases which came after the fact, of course, but like John Bonet Ramsey and the not only the media attention, but the immediate investigatory, I mean, pressure that you can sense from police and we've got to figure out who did this. And statistically speaking, something else that just came to mind is a lot of times what we see in true crime, it's someone who knew the victim or was close to the victim. And in that way, could a talent scout be someone suspicious? Of course. A talent scout could be, but also... um Anyone working in the neighborhood could be uh, a grocery store person, um, a technician, anybody. It could be a family member. You just don't know because we never really investigated. And at the time, we were all, even in the 90s when I was growing up, you were, um, what's the term? You come home when the lights come on. You know, we played outside all afternoon after we got out of school and it wasn't shady or suspicious or we were just being kids being kids and that's what these children were but they weren't treated that way that's so sad it was very sad but you to me the missing and murdered children's story is a story of class because if they had not been poor kids attention would have been paid to them being missing sooner it's a story of race <laughs> Because they were black kids. Again, they weren't treated the way other children would be. So it's class and it's race. And it's also economics because they were poor. So when you look at those three things, really, it was a case of striking out in terms of the investigation. Uh, I would love to know from the chief of police how many people are working on this case right now. And where does the case stand right now? Um, in DeKalb County, they had cases that uh, the late Chief Lewis Graham at that time, a couple of years ago, wanted to reopen those cases. And he lost, he, he lost his job and then he passed away. But he wanted to reopen the cases in DeKalb and was planning to. And then, as I said, he lost his job and then the cases were closed again. So we still have all these cases that no one has really looked into. I will say one good thing did come out of the missing and murdered children's case. When you look at now, if a child is missing, as you said, we immediately 
send out bulletins. We have Amber Alerts, which we didn't have back then. Also, we have, I think, a, a national organization, the Missing and Murdered. It's not Missing and Murdered, but there's a national organization that keeps track of children that are missing. We now put children's faces on milk cartons and billboards, which we didn't do back then. So some good did come from it, but that's no comfort to the families who lost their children here and still wonder who killed them. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, after Wayne Williams was arrested and convicted, the murder stopped. Are you sure? <laughs> I was going to ask you Are that. Are you sure? And, and I wondered, you know, I've never, because I'm not an investigative reporter and I'm now retired, but I would love to see somebody go back and look at how many children after 1982, say in 84, 85, were found murdered or were missing. I'm just curious. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm, I have been told that once Wayne Williams was arrested and convicted and put into prison, that the murder stopped. But did they? But did they? Right. I'm just raising questions. And, you know, I, some people get upset with me. Um, some people in law enforcement get upset with me because they say, well, you know, it was a different time. Yes, it was a different time. But had we used basic investigative techniques rather than ruling out no white people could do it, you know, so we ruled out white people and we ruled out all kinds of things and just said, this is the kind of person we're looking for. I think this could have been solved, but I think what happened, it became a blight on the city and you needed to clean it up fast because the New South could not afford to have these kinds of things happening where black children were disappearing and being found murdered. So as a journalist at the time, as an anchor, you have to be somewhat impartial and objective. Was it hard for you at the time? It was very hard at the time um, because I would go into those neighborhoods and speak, you know, and just at schools and to see the fear of little kids in schools about, am I going to make it home safely? Somebody going to try to abduct me. It was scary. It was very scary. Um, My daughter was born in 1980. So, you know, luckily she was tiny and at home, but still when you're a parent, you know what those parents are going through and you worry, you worry and you hope that, that you will find the person who was doing this or the person. See, we've always assumed it's just one person. I've always felt it had to be more than one. You couldn't just have one person doing this. I think you had people working in concert. That's the reason why for some people, not for me, but for some people, the possibility of the Klan being involved. But then you've got to remember this was going on in the city back then. And folks don't like to talk about it, but we had a a real sex trade going on back then. Um, And, you know, I remember when Peachtree Street was not as it looks now, when Mary Welcome, who was the solicitor, would they used to call her Wild Mary. She would go in and break up the massage parlors because they were doing other things and massages in there. I remember the little peep places where you could go in and see all kind. You know, Peachtree was not a nice street from about 14th street down to i'd say about 8th 
It's like the red light district. It was really a red light district. And the sex trade was beginning. Uh, And just like we're now still one of the major cities for child trafficking, that was starting back then. So we never looked into the possibility that this could have been child trafficking at that early age. And have you been able to see, I know that aside from the memorial, they've painted murals of the victims. And the murals are beautiful, but it doesn't bring them back and it doesn't solve the cases. And that's my only concern. I hate to be repetitive, but we need to put the energy into this. You know, we know about the dog hairs uh, from Wayne Williams and the blanket from Wayne Williams. But is that all the DNA we found with all these murders? You mean everybody was clean, (laughs) even though they were found in fields or found in water because the water didn't wash everything away? You know, What happened to that source material, and can it be tested now to find the possibility of who it might be? You have to wonder, too, as the police, like you were saying, when they established what seemed like a profile, and then they found Wayne. They stuck to it. Right. They got Wayne Williams, and they matched those fibers to the carpet in his parents' home. And the dog. And the dog. And... You know, not that this means you murdered someone, but if he's a little eccentric, you know, there's something not right. They don't get a good feeling. It felt like I'm sure we found our answer. We've got it. We've got the guy. Exactly. But again, that was for the adult murders, not for the child murders. Right. It's been 40 years. Those families still don't have peace. The only way they're really ever going to have peace is to know that each individual case has been thoroughly investigated from DNA to interviewing the adult now friends of their children. And until we do that, this will always be a mystery and always be a blight on the city of Atlanta. So many people will say to me, Were you there when the children were being kidnapped and killed? And I'll go, yes. Well, why didn't they solve this case sooner? And I'll say, that's a good question. It is a very good question. I could have talked to Monica about this particular case for hours and hours. It is fascinating. There is so much to unpack. I hope you learned something new about this, unfortunately, very dark chapter in Atlanta's history and gained some new insight. Thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Nicole Bennett, and this is my new true crime podcast, Beyond Criminal Headlines, where every two weeks I'll feature a conversation between myself and some of the most esteemed journalists in the business who've covered some of the most notorious crimes in our history. Just as a note, getting to combine my passions for journalism and true crime while also getting to showcase the incredible work of my colleagues and mentors in the news industry, this is just a dream come true. Thank you for coming along on this ride with me. Please subscribe and review. You'll be able to find new Beyond Criminal Headlines episodes every two weeks on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode on the Atlanta child murders featuring the 
iconic Monica Kaufman Pearson. We'll be back again very soon with our next episode. Until next time, this is your host for Beyond Criminal Headlines, Nicole Bennett, signing off.